I cannot, I cannot believe how good the Lord is. If I, we just, we just had this whole emphasis right now on the widow and the orphan. And if, if I had to like think of a text to preach on this morning that would address that issue. Exactly. Bullseye center. It's our text today in Acts. It's Acts 6. I mean, like a couple months ago, I'm sitting at a Chili's with Rod trying to figure out what book of the Bible to preach on. And the Lord like knows, okay, so here's how it's going to go. We're going to line it up perfect so that we're going to have an announcement on orphans on the day that we're going to talk about the church's care for the underrepresented. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, um, we're in Acts. Everybody have a Bible that needs one? I know they already got done passing out those navy covered copies. Um, but open your Bibles to Acts 6. Let me kind of explain where the book of Acts has been up until this point before we were so rudely interrupted by Rod. Okay? So Acts 4, Acts chapter 4 is an external, um, there's, an, there's an external problem. Okay? In Acts chapter 4, there's an external problem of persecution. Church is persecuted. The beginning of Acts chapter 5, um, Neil Martin preached to us, remember, British iPad? He preached to us on an internal problem in the church, hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, hypocritical, and God deals with that problem. The, um, then later in Acts chapter 5, um, uh, Tejas brought um, the word about um, another external problem, an external problem of persecution, extreme persecution. Okay, now in Acts chapter 6, it's another internal problem. It's another internal problem, but listen, because let me just kind of explain to you where we're at in the book. Remember, Acts 1-8 kind of gave us the outline that um, Jesus wants, us to, wants his church to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, so far, we've been in Jerusalem the whole time. He's about to launch the cannon and send the church everywhere. But before he does it, he's got one more really important lesson that he's got to make sure they all hear. And so he gets them all, while they're still together, he's got one final lesson. That's where we're at in Acts 6, okay? So that's where we are. Let's stand um, for the reading of God's word. Let's stand in respect, out of respect for the God who speaks to us in his word this morning and stand in expectation of what we're going to hear. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are Jewish people who um, speak Greek and were raised in the Greek culture. A complaint by the Hellenists rose up against the Hebrews. So Jewish people who, still, who speak Hebrew and raised Jewishly. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timons, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, they set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God 
continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Our great God, here at the beginning of a new week, uh, the beginning of the first day of a week, we turn to you first. We remember that on the first day of that week, Jesus rose from the dead. And by doing so, he opened to us the way of life. So we pray that now he would open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear your word and our hearts to understand and obey what we learned today. Uh, we pray this, and, and you said that you would, an you would hear and answer our prayers. And so we come to you with faith, not because of things that we've done or because of how well we're praying, but because you promised to hear prayers in the name of your son. It's in his name, our favorite name, the name above all names that we pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, really easy. This, this is a layup text, all right? The, the text comes in three pieces. You could preach the sermon. Next time you've got to preach a sermon, just go right to Acts 6, okay? Really easy. Three pieces to the sermon. One, there's a problem. It's in verse 1. Secondly, there's a solution. Ooh. And then thirdly, there's the result. That's in verse 7. Okay, that's the three pieces of the text. No crazy tricks here. First, there's a problem. Look, in uh, verse 1. Let me just, let's pull some of the details out of the text here. Verse 1. In these days, the Hellenists, sorry, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay? We've got two problems. There's two problems um, in this verse. The first problem is a growth problem. See it right there at the very beginning? What's the first phrase in the sentence? What does it say? What days were they? What was happening in the church? The disciples were increasing. Yes. Sorry, a couple different times during this sermon, I'm going to say sen sentences, ask questions, and I'm going to look for some response. Prepare yourselves. Okay? So the disciples are increasing. All right, we got a growth problem. we got a growth problem. How many people were here like a year and a half ago before we launched multi-campuses when, like it wasn't, you didn't sit in the bleachers because it was cool, which it is, <laughs> but you sat in the bleachers because you had to? Remember this? Remember our growth problem that we had? And we had like parking nightmare out there, parking Gehenna, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth out there. You're with me? Growth problem. A bunch of people show up, and that's tricky. So we had that problem. Now we've got a new problem. Like I worship on the East Campus week in, week out. It's closer to my house. I miss you guys. I do. I miss you guys. That was really cute. <laughs> I miss you guys. Do you know who else misses you? Um, the 9 o'clock service misses you, especially if you normally go and you slept in. They really miss you this morning. But listen, we, there's problems, difficulties that show up when a bunch of people show up. Oh, that's not easy. It's, it's difficult. Okay, well, this just in. That's been happening since Acts chapter 6. That's been happening since Acts chapter 6. In fact, if you really want to rewind the film all the way, if you go back to like um, Deuteronomy 1, Moses is kind of given like a little summary of what's been happening up to that point in the Bible. And he tells the story about like how big the people of Israel were. 
And it's a parallel passage to where we're at, by the way. Don't flip there now. You can read it later. But in Deuteronomy 1, he talks about the people of Israel are so numerous, it was too great of a burden for him to carry. Wow. So large groups of people make trouble. (laughs) It's difficult to manage something that's large and something that's growing. Secondly, um, um, the second problem that we have in the text is we have a diversity problem. There's a diversity problem. This group of people would not normally hang out together. Three reasons. Three reasons. First, ethnically, they have nothing. They're, they're very distinct, very different. We've got um, Hellenists, people raised, um, speaking Greek in a Greek culture, Greek background, Greek literature, Greek way of thinking. Greek. Over on the other side, the exact same room, Hebrew, Jews, raised, uh, dietary laws, um, um, kosher eating, um, um, uh, ceremonial laws, Hebrew language. These people are in the same church. Ethnic differences. Secondly, we've got some economic differences going on. Some people in the church, they've got extra fields and extra houses, it says. They've got extra fields and extra houses that they sell and pitch that money into a big pot to be distributed. Hooray, they've got extra, tons extra. Over here, like right in the text, there are some people for whom they are so poor, they are relying on a daily distribution of food for their mom to eat. Economic diversity. These groups of people do not live in the same subdivision. They do not live in the same gated community. These people do not hang out together normally. Thirdly, we got like an age differential going on. We've got some young people, we've got some career people, some um, um, youngsters, and we've got widows. Here in the same, these people do not hang out. So here's a great truth. Here's a great truth. And this is one of the proofs that Jesus is alive, is the diversity in the church. There's an unnatural, supernatural diversity in the church that's not explained by, um, not, it's not explainable by the world. The world does not know why that group of people is all together. They can't figure that out. They can't figure that out. And that continues to this day. Why is that group of people, why is those guys, th- those people are wearing Toms. They don't normally hang out with the people who are wearing like New Balance shoes. These are two distinct groups of people. Why are Republicans and Democrats together? You guys, don't you know, that, haven't you been watching TV? You guys have nothing in common. You're supposed to yell at each other. The church is like, oh, we do. We have the most important thing in common. We are unified. The gospel of Jesus Christ has more power to unite us than the world has to pull us apart. It's a supernatural diversity. It's got a glorious cause to it, but it makes some things difficult. And here we are. It's making some things difficult. The world has no answers for this. How, w- how does the world suggest that you break in with a new group of people? How does the world suggest it? I did what you did. I asked Google. And it sent me to a beautiful website called WikiHow. WikiHow. How many people know what WikiHow is? Okay. Uno, dos, cantorces. I failed that class. <laughs> so um, WikiHow is this, um, um, there's like questions that get asked, and then people are like, hey, it's a how-to on how to do this and how to do this. And just random people can suggest from what I can tell from reading a couple of entries, it's mostly 11-year-old girls <laughs> who are not majoring in English, I'll tell you that. 
Here's the wiki how, how to feel comfortable in a new group of people. This is, what th this is what the normal way to feel comfortable in a new group of people. Let's try it out. We're going to make these suggestions to the church in Jerusalem, to our Hellenists, to our Hebrews. Does wiki how have an answer for us? Step one, break the ice. Talk to them about a subject that you will all like, such as fashion, sports, boys, girls, parents, school, or whatever, exclamation point. Step two, hang out with them. Ask one person in the group or ask the group if they would like to hang out. Tell them the time, day, and place to meet up. <laughs> I love this. Step three, get to know them. Ask them what kind of foods they like, favorite hangout places, favorite sports, etc. All right, let's try. So what food do you guys like? Only kosher food. That is very important to us. It's part of our personal identity. What about you? We don't speak your language. <laughs> it's difficult to know what you just asked us. Step four, tell them about yourself too, but don't brag about it. Just tell them what are your favorites. I love the, let me just get, run that one by you again. Just tell them what are your favorites where you live and what your parents are like and other things. Favorite sentence. This will, <laughs> I have to read it word for word. This will let you have them get to know you. <laughs> okay? Okay? This is inadequate. This is inadequate for the discrepancy, for the diversity that's in the church. The apostles are going to roll out their answer now. And it could not be more different from WikiHow, not Im impossibly more dif different, Okay? Here's, here it is, the solution, the solution. The problem, the solution, the solution. We need to talk. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Huh? That's, that's the answer? Wait, wait a minute, here's, what's, here's the problem. The problem is widows don't have enough food. Your answer is, we're going to keep preaching. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So what you should do is change what you're doing and not keep doing what you're doing, right? Oh, so crazy. What's going on? Their solution is really in two parts, okay? Their solution is really in two parts. The first part is they have to engage the apostles need to engage the essential engage the essential and they need to empower the important okay we're gonna start by engaging the essential they need to preach the word this is essential they need to engage it why is engaging the word essential why it's because of a thing called revelation okay revelation is revelation is truth that we need, that we can't figure out on our own. Okay, there's a thing called revelation, which is truth that we need, that we can't figure out on our own. Um, Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus is praying to the Father and says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, a verse that is written on a lot of um, uh, bumper stickers incorrectly. It's not really written on bumper stickers. Nobody puts this on a bumper sticker. It's written on like plaques on your wall. 
incorrectly. Ready? Here it is. Paul's writing. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, to these things, sorry, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. There's, there's a thing called revelation, which is truth that we desperately need that we can't figure out on our own. Revelation. Okay, secondly, the second truth, why, why is preaching essential? Because of what revelation is. Secondly, it's essential because God has revealed himself. Glorious truth. Just a little staggering. Just, you know, put your brain into this paradigm. God dwells in unapproachable light. No one can see him and live. How are we going to figure it out? Our, we are lost to figure him out on our own, but he has spoken. He has revealed himself. God has revealed himself graciously to us. Amazing. So, revelation is truth that we need that we can't figure out on our own. Secondly, God has revealed himself, and that revelation needs to be shared. That's why the apostles need to preach the word of God. That has to happen. There's no other way to, to do this. This is essential, and we're missing it. Okay, there's no other way to make this happen unless they do this essential topic. Okay? But you'll notice this, because in... Um, is it verse 7? Where did it go? Uh, nope, it's verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. So the first time they talk about it, what do we need to do? We're, we can't give up the ministry of the word. We have to keep sharing the word. But when they talk about it later, like, listen, it's prayer and the word together. Why is that? Why, why is prayer an essential part of Christian ministry? Well, it's mainly this. It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not um, assistance or advice or a leg up or help or tips or tricks. It's a miracle. It's a miracle is what we need. We need a miracle. That's why we pray. It's because what we really need is not just a little bit of help. We need a miracle. Anybody with me that like what we need is beyond what we naturally have. Anybody with me on that? So we pray. We pray. That's why we are, the apostles dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. <coughs> they have to engage the essential. They have to preach the word. But the second part of their solution is found in verse 3. Back to the text, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. They're gonna, the apostles are going to entrust the important to care for others. They entrust the important. Look at the, look at the characteristics of the people they're looking for. Like, like normally when the churches look for people like this, they're looking for somebody who can run their own business and somebody who is probably a little wealthy and maybe somebody who's donated a good chunk of money to the church. So they can reward them with an official position at the church. Wouldn't that be... A fitting thing. It's not what the apostles are looking for. Not at all. They're looking for men of good repute. First hmm. Timothy three seven echoes this. You must be well thought of by outsiders. Secondly, full of the Spirit. We're looking for people that are full of the Spirit, which is said about four four people in the entire New Testament. Full of the Spirit describes Stephen. We're going to meet him in a minute. You're going to see he is no slouch. 
you're going to see um, Barnabas. It says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. And then two other people. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Jesus described him as the greatest of all men. That's a nice, that's a nice resume. Jesus, described by Jesus Christ as the greatest of all men. Wow. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's the type of guy we're looking for. And then fourthly, who's the fourth person described as full of the Holy Spirit? Jesus himself. Okay, so not, no slouches here. They're looking for these men. And it's what they said pleased the whole gathering. Hmm. Um, pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in hol- the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip. So th- these are the next two um, heroes of the next couple chapters. Stephen is going to be moving our story forward for the next chapter, chapter and a half. And then Philip picks up the ball from there. Spoiler alert, Stephen dies. Okay, you can listen back in. Um, um, uh, raise your hand if you're a dad of daughters. Raise your hand. Dad of daughters. Okay, i got to put my hand down. I prayed for pink, didn't get any. Um, um, listen, if Philip is your man. You will love Philip. He's got four daughters. You're going to meet them later on. Um, chapter 21, the book of Acts. Keep your eyes peeled. You will love Philip. Okay, so these are the men that they've got going. So, But why is the word essential? Why is the ministry of the word essential and care for the poor important. I was explaining, kind of test driving my sermon out with a coworker on Thursday, and they said to me, no, 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 those are both essential. They're both essential. You have to have both of those as essential. They're not one essential, one important. They should both be essential. I'm disagreeing. I'm saying that the word of preaching the word of God is essential for the church, and care for the poor is important. Why am I saying that? I'll tell you later. That's called a tease. <laughs> in preaching classes and stuff that I have not taken, they say to do that. Okay? Let's, pu- let's push ahead. Let's finish off our story right here. Verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. Okay? <laughs> so no, how essential is the word of God to the church? It's used as a synonym for the church. It's used as a synonym. So I said that, right? I've been saying synonym. Synonym. Good. It's used as a synonym for the church later. The, the church is growing, but they say the word of God increases. Amazing. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. Priests. Wait a minute. I thought those were the guys that threw Peter and John in jail. What's going on? I thought, are, th- are they Christians now? No. No, they are not. They are not Christians. But apparently not all priests were like of that high priest mindset. There's a bunch of godly, humble men, priests, who saw the work of God, heard the gospel message, and identified it as, that's what we've been waiting for, we're in. I'm thinking of men like um, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, would have been, he's a priest. I'm thinking of people like Simeon, the now that I held him in my arms um, guy in the book of Luke. Amazing. Godly men, they join up the church. Interesting. And that's how the story ends. For our our little um, our little passage for today, astounding, astounding. Well, um, that is the that is the portion of scripture that we have for us. I now want to spend the next bit of the message. Now that we've kind of gone through some of the details of the text and figured out what the some of the words and some of the concepts are, I now want to look for some of the messages that the text would speak to us here in Grand Rapids, here at Crossroads. 
true to me, true to you? What is it? And as I look through it and prayed through it and talked to some of, um, some of our leaders in the church, I feel like I've, there's two warnings in this passage for, for us, okay? One warning is specifically to Christians, and the second warning is specifically to the church. Yes, those are different things. What happens elsewhere? Okay, first, a warning to Christians. Beware of a consumer mindset. Beware of a consumer mentality, all right? This, <sighs> we live in the United States of America. I love sentences like that. We, and we have capitalism, and the way we work our whole life is really based on this capitalist consumer mentality. And it's helpful in a lot of ways, but it's poison in the church. Poison in the church. Let me illustrate, okay? Um, um, I'm going to illustrate it by talking about a restaurant and a meal at home. I'm going to illustrate it with three complaints. Complaint number one, it's cold in here. Complaint number two, the dishes, this dish is dirty. Complaint number three, I don't like the food. Okay, complaint number one, in the restaurant, all right? It's, it's cold in the restaurant. What do you do when it's cold in a restaurant? <coughs> um, excuse me, uh, garçon. That's what I call the people who work at Qdoba. Um, it's a little cold in here. My wife's cold, and they come over and like, sorry, we've been having trouble with the thermostat. We'll get right on that. We're really apologetic about that. We'll fix it. Sorry, sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> Complaint number two, the plate is dirty, right? <coughs> um, could you bring me like a clean plate? Because this one is like, I'm I don't know how I you know, and then I turn to my wife, I'm like, somebody is losing their job back there. Dirty plate? What if the health inspector came in here and you served a plate like that? Yowza! Yeesh! Dirty plate. Okay, complaint number three, we don't like the food. Could you take this back and uh, not charge us for it because it's not, it's not good. No, no. And we're probably, don't give us a credit for it because we're probably not coming back here, right? Three complaints at a restaurant. I don't know what your mom is like. <laughs> My mom's a sweetie pie and um, in no way reflects the caricature I'm about to unleash on you. Those three complaints at my house, what would they be like at your house? Okay, number one, <coughs> you're at the table. <coughs> Excuse me, it's a little cold in here. Go put on a sweater. <laughs> you got a sweater. I see it. It's up there. You put on your sweater. When you start paying the heating bills, you can determine the temperature of our home, okay? <laughs> Mr. Frigid over here thinks it's cold. Get a sweater. <laughs> Suddenly my mom's from like, who's the boss or something? I don't know what happened to this voice. <laughs> Secondly, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this plate is a little, uh, you see in this part? Well, whose job was it to clean the dishes? Because it was yours. What's your job? You were supposed to clean the dishes. You didn't do it. How come it's not done? Why am I doing this accent? I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> Westerholm, Scandinavian. Just try to put that together. Why am I doing this voice? Thirdly, I don't like the food here. I don't like the food here would have been like DEFCOM 4 at my house. My dad would, on occasion, God bless him, Pray prayers before the meal that would be like, Dear Lord, please help these boys 
be thankful for their mom who worked really hard to make this food for them? It's like, okay, Dad, you're not talking to God anymore, okay? You're pretty much only talking to Josh and I, all right? We're on to your little prayer game, okay? Listen, okay? So that's the difference between a restaurant and a meal at home. Okay, what's, what's the church? What's the church? Is it more like a restaurant or more like a meal at home? Because we have entire churches that have that feed that mentality, that feed that mentality and grow up a generation of Christians that, you know, I, when I come to church, I want to walk in and I want a latte in my hand really quick. When I walk in, I want that and I want to sit in a chair that's got cushions that maybe vibrates. That would be helpful. I want to I be able to drop my kids off with a retinal scan for their safety and then and, and send them down a thing and they can come back with, with a new t-shirt every week would be great. That's what I want for my church. What? You should know Crossroads has been specifically designed to eliminate that tendency from your life, from the church's life. I, I point you to the, the wildcat behind me. Please, how many legs does this thing have? This gets an A for art, but it is failing zoology very badly, okay? How many claws are on that? I mean, okay, that's fine. Example number two, look at your little, your bulletin, your little square. Okay, look, okay, look on the back, right? We, we're printing one upside down. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing this consumer mentality being eradicated? Okay, you know, those of you from Calvin can answer me which side is being printed upside down. I'll, I'll get that one from you guys later. So, um, but l listen, we give the two-minute warning at five after. We have an 11.15 service, and at about 11.20, we walk out, hey, two more minutes. What's going on? That is not the sort of business that we should be, oh, not a business. It's a church. It's a family get-together. Okay, let me, one more quick little contrast. Concert, worship service. Concert, worship service. Concert. I buy a ticket. I pay really good money. I show up. There's a seat waiting for me in a comfortable place. There's a light show that's sticky. The volume level is set at an appropriate level for what I would like. Um, they play songs that I have paid to hear, or I complain afterwards about they didn't play the song that I wanted to hear. Afterwards, I leave, a crew of union people come in and clear the stage and put it on a truck and it goes away. That's the way it's supposed to work. This? No, no, this is not that at all. This is not that at all. Uh, this is why Greg and Will and all those guys are like, hey, we need somebody to come push the button to move the words forward, okay? We need people after, we gotta, you got to stack a chair. you got to stack a chair. Why we, we need people to help tear down. Well, can't the union guys do that? No, no, there's no union guys for this. This is us. This is a family meal. Pick up your plate when you're done, right? That's, we're a family. We're a church. We're a family. Get rid of the consumer mentality, please. The consumer mentality poisons us as a church, okay? Secondly, the, the consumer mentality makes us, it makes us delegate ministry to our church instead of as Christian individuals. We want to delegate ministry to our church because of this consumer mentality. So, someone will ask the question, what does the church have for a ministry to homeless people on my, in my neighborhood? Oh, great, great. I've got good news and I've got bad news. 
the good news is we've got somebody there that um, is great. The bad news is it's you. Okay? If you're from, there are some churches where you can go to that they staff the snot out of their ministry. And they have like, they have 18 people on staff thinking about the homeless. And your job as people is to write a check to pay them to do the work of the kingdom. Consumer mentality. Done. See? Here's what I want. I want to pay the union guys to put the chairs away so that I don't have to. Done. I want to orphans. I'm really uncomfortable with talk about orphans. How m- what number do I need to write so that I don't feel guilty so that the church will take care of orphans for me? What number takes care of that problem? Um, the number is 24-7. Our job as Christians to live the Christian life and to take care of it and not to delegate the ministry to the church. Oh, it's so empowering and frightening and thrilling and horrific (laughs) to know that it's us guys it's us wow wow so let me just give you a some of you are really terrified by that because you know um um some of you like well i'd I'd love to have I'd, i'd love to um do foster care but i'm a college student and they won't let any um kids in the dorm room where i'm staying Great point. We won't. Cornerstone, listen, no kids. Okay, secondly, um, but here, let me give you a little starter a little starter kit. You're trying to get started in caring for others. Let me give you a little starter kit. First of all, start your habit small. Do not think that you will suddenly flip a switch and become generous later on in life when you've got, you know, bennies and, and um, other such things. It's, it's a false thing. It will not happen. Listen to Jesus, Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Start small. Start now. Start with what you've got. Be generous with that. Secondly, pursue the generous life. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely yet grows all the richer. So there's this person who's generous and he's giving stuff away. And he's growing richer. The second half of the verse Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Great truth, Proverbs 11, 24. So so listen, listen, cultivate this generous lifestyle. Cultivate this generous lifestyle. Um, um, The couple of guys that I do mentoring with, and um, specifically my eight-year-old son, can describe for you very well this paradigm that that I work with very often. It's concentric circles, small in the middle, bigger as you go out, okay? That's what concentric means. Um, So the first internal circle, especially, um, I'm talking mostly to guys here, because that's who I deal with sort of the most. So guys, um, I'm listening up at this point. Ladies, you're always listening. Sorry, I just have to get the guy's attention. Um, um, It starts with self-control. This is like the beginning of of the Christian life, of of a generous life. Self-control. I'm able to, to... take care of myself. And then as you grow that, as that gets better and better, it begins to grow into now I can take care of the space around me. Okay, it begins to grow into I can now take care of my checkbook, I can take care of my room, I can take care of my car, I can take care of my space. Oh, I can take care of myself, I can take care of my space. It grows. Then, 
next level out, I can start taking care of people around me. This is a good time to bring in a girlfriend. <laughs> Not before. Are you with me, ladies? <laughs> okay, fine. Listen, now is the time. Now I can start taking care of the people around me. Now I can have a family and I can take care of kids. And then as that grows, remember what, what Paul writes um, in uh, First Timothy 3 or Titus 2? Titus 2. I think it's Titus 2. Sorry, 1 Timothy 3. So um, that if a person can't manage their own household, how will they take care of the household of God? So now I've got, I can, I've got self-control, which grows into I can take care of my space, which turns into I can take care of the people around me, which turns into I can help take care of God's people. And that turns into I can start taking care of others. If a person can't take care of his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever, Paul writes. Then we take care of the church, the household of faith, do good to everyone, especially the household of faith, and then that grows out, okay? So guys, especially guys, like work on, don't just work that you can just take care of yourself, live a productive life that you can grow and take care of others. I'm just going to take a little, just take a minute here, because guys, that I, I know we love this, we're good at this, we love, you know, conquering a foe. We love joining a team. We love doing something epic. We love rescuing the princess. We love defeating the enemy. But we do it with our thumbs. <laughs> okay? That means video games, ladies. We do it with our thumbs, and it doesn't count. It doesn't count. Okay? Um, um, it, that doesn't count. The hours that you have poured into that instinct in World of Warcraft Harvesting dream foil from Stranglethorn Vale does not count. Okay, the eight of you got that reference. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, did you know? Did you know there are more farms on Farmville than in the United States? There are more farms on Farmville. People are raising digital crops. Instead of raising real crops, maybe wearing hunger awareness wristbands <laughs> while they raise Farmville crops. Okay, listen, listen guys, especially guys, live a productive life. Live a productive life, not just so you can take care of yourself, but so out of your abundance you can take care of others. That's fantastic. Thirdly, um, um, be burdened. Be burdened. Some of you, when you say, I can't afford to help other people, what you mean is, I don't have any extra. And, and the, the Bible has got a, a, a way cooler, deeper thing for us. Galatians 4.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens. So part of what that means is, not just giving the extra that I have, but it means actually taking the burden that this person has and putting it on me, now I feel that burden because I have given away some of my resources. I'm not just giving away my excess time. There's no such thing as excess time. My excess money, I nobody has any excess money. My excess resources, but we think we're waiting for that to show up. Oh, when I find a week that doesn't have anything to do in it, that's when I'll start serving? Won't happen. Listen, put a burden, another person's burden on your life. And live for that. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hmm. 
Okay, well, the warning to the church is stay on target. The warning to the Christians is to avoid consumer mentality. The warning to the church is to stay on target. Okay, this is, that might be a line, a piece of advice from Star Wars A New Hope. Stay on target. Somebody got that too. The same guy that got the World of Warcraft reference. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I'm going to read to you an, a, a mission statement from an organization. And I want you to tell me the name of the organization. You ready? Here's the mission statement. This organization is an inclusive organization of men, women, and children joined together by a shared commitment to nurturing the potential of kids, promoting healthy living, and fostering a sense of social responsibility. Hmm. First clue, founded in 1850 as a way of promoting prayer. Secondly, six years later, um, it became promoting Christian discipleship through a program of religious, educational, social, and physical activities. Soon, physical activities came to dominate what they're talking about. Before long, the village people had written a song. <laughs> no gestures, please. At the 9 o'clock service, I thought a Whitecaps game had broken out or something. <laughs> um, so, listen, it's the YMCA. Or, as they're now known, it's the Young Men's Christian Association. Or, as they're now known, the Y. The Y. Okay, this is what happens when the preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming of the word, sits in the back seat. It gets assumed and then left unsaid and then gone. It gets gone. So, why should, <laughs> why should, why is proclaiming the word of God essential and caring for the poor important? It's because of this. It's because the first commandment is first and the second commandment is second. This was not a math major. But the first commandment's first, guys. The first commandment's first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor like as yourself. First commandment first, second commandment second. The problem is when you get them out of order, you lose both. You lose both really fast, okay? <clears throat> Secondly, because caring for others is ultimately, fueled, is ultimately fueled by gospel preaching. Did you know this? This is like, there's a lot of um, crazy stereotypes about missionaries and about what happens when the gospel comes to a group of people. Um, for those of you who are a little bit more academically minded than WikiHow, there's a book by Dana, Dana L. Roberts, entitled Christian Mission, How Christianity Became a World Religion, uh, 2009. It, it, uh, you're not going to find it at your local Christian bookstore. It's a secular book written um, uh, to an academic audience. It's, it's not light reading, um, published by a secular publisher. But here's the main, um, the main thesis. It shows that missionaries have defended human rights, advocated for indigenous peoples, advanced women's rights, improved medical care, cared for the weak and marginalized, and supported ecological sustainability and conservation. You know what happens when the church comes to your culture? Literacy. Literacy shows up with it. Suddenly the barbarian um, um, people in Europe um, with no written language, missionaries come, so suddenly they have a written language. That's what happens when the church moves in. Care for women um, against public... Um, Without public support and even with public opposition, Christian missionaries have believed in educating women. 
of stellar track record of representing of, of, of that, of representing education of women, women's rights. Wherever the gospel goes, um, hospitals, the history of hospitals is really a history of the church. Um, um, as early as, as Constantine, when Constantine, the Council of Nicaea, when that first kind of became a official official thing, one of the first things they, they decided to do was to build a hospital attached to ev- in every cathedral town. So every town, the emperor was like, we're going to build cathedrals in all of these towns across my whole empire. And the church was like, okay, if we're going to do that, we're going to put a hospital that can minister specifically to the sick, the ailing, lepers, a specific heart for that in every town that has a cathedral. Amazing. A great track record. In conclusion, in conclusion, the world says make lots of money and spend it on yourself. Spend it on creating an identity for yourself. Create an identity by the clothes that you wear, by that car that you drive, by that place that you go to on your vacation. Build an identity by um, where you live, by what friends you have, um, how much you make a year. This is where your identity is found. Ooh, you should also add in some volunteering because you don't want to look like a selfish pig. You should really try to help those poor people. That's the world's mentality. The gospel is the complete opposite. The gospel is the complete opposite. The gospel says, I have next to nothing to learn from that system of thinking. (sighs) What I need to do is have my attitude shaped by the gospel of Christ. You know, I'm, I'm going to pull, Greg says, this is off the page. Um, go, go to Exodus 22, which is where um, our friend Steph read about the orphan, the theme verse. Exodus, her verse is 20, um, Exodus 22, 22 and 23. See that? Verse 22 says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Look at the verse right before Okay, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Here's what the gospel says to us, okay? That's you. It's not those poor people that need help. It's you. Orphans? That's you. Sojourners? That's, that's you. Um, um, the broken the helpless, the people who got themselves in that mess, yeah, that's us. The, 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 the people who um, really deserve what they're getting, okay, sure, that was us. That was us. The gospel flipped that whole paradigm upside down. When the guy asks Jesus um, in the, the par- right before the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, who's my brother? Who should I be loving right here? Who's my neighbor? Jesus should have answered like this. There was a guy who went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way, he found a Jewish man beat up. Should he help him? Yes, he should. That is his brother. That's his neighbor. Okay, next he found a Samaritan. Should he help him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Jesus flips the whole thing on its head, suplex, and says, listen, you're the guy, you're the guy... There's a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. The teacher of the law is like, I make that walk a lot. 
who got beat up, okay? He got beat up, and now he's in need. Not until you see yourself as in need do you have a heart to help others who are in need. We're the ones in need, and we have been helped. Jesus did not, um, though he was rich for our sake, became poor, that we might have true riches. Jesus, who, when we were against him, our, our fist in his face, our backs to him, running as fast as we could, disinterested, came, took care of us, took us in, out of compassion, loved us, adopted us. Adoption? Yeah, we were adopted. Co-heirs with Christ. Now, Ephesians 5 says, as dearly beloved children, as dearly beloved children, that's us, as dearly beloved children, be imitators of God. What did God do? Adopted, took care, went out of his way, burdened himself, served us out of his generosity that we didn't deserve. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and a chance to open your word. Um, thank you for a chance to renew our thinking. And um, God, I just confess to you that I wish I had more examples of me doing this right. But I don't. And so I pray that you would renew all of our minds. Give us, God, not just, a, give us a, a, a perspective that doesn't see this as a burden or another thing to add. Like, I, I need to have a quiet time and my church attendance and a small group and be concerned for the, the poor. God, just break us of that whole mentality and give us a brand new heart. Holy Spirit, Help us view ourselves as dearly beloved children so that we can be imitators of you. I thank you that you, you did not remain where you were, that you came to us. You put on flesh and became one of us. Help us, God, to see ourselves as your children so that we might reach out to others. In your name, Lord Jesus, the name above all names that we pray this.